Hello, folks, and welcome to this week's episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. On this historic day, we come to you on Sunday, January 25th, about uh, an hour and a half or so after Coach Mike Krzyzewski becomes the first coach in Division I men's basketball to record his 1,000th win. It is a tremendous proud, tremendously proud day for every Duke basketball fan. We will discuss win 1K in just a few minutes before we get to that. I am Donald Wine, also known as Blazing DW on the Duke Basketball Report forums. As usual, the other two pieces of this podcast puzzle are here with us. First, we have Sam Klein, a.k.a. Dev11. Sam, say hi to the people. Hi, Donald. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Hello, sir. And we also have Jason Evans. You know him as Jason Evans. Jason, hello, my man. Hello, hello. This is a, a good day to be a Duke fan. It sure is. And you know what? Let's dive right into the meat of this week's discussion. We're going to start with a game that took place earlier this afternoon. We went on the road to battle St. John's in a rare non-conference road game. Luckily, this road game happened to be in our unofficial home away from home, Madison Square Garden. And we didn't make it easy. We were down 10 with about 10 minutes left, but we really fought back. And finally, win number 1,000 is on the ledger sheet with a 77 to 68 win. Sam, the building that was the scene for Coach K's record-breaking 903 win is also the scene for number 1,000. Your thoughts on this victory? Well, my first impression is that we have to, if we really want to be technical about it, let's call it Duke's 77 to 65 win um, because that three-pointer at the end of the first half shouldn't have counted. Absolutely. Um, but moving on from that, um, it was a very impressive victory. Uh, I was watching with a couple other Duke fans, uh, one of whom is prone to be overly negative when he's watching the games. Um, so you can imagine the first, you know, the, through the first about uh, 12 minutes of the second half, uh, he was livid and throwing things, and it, and it was ugly. Um, but uh, these guys somehow figured out how to come back from, from what felt like a very deep hole. Um, they had that, that, you know, emotional end to the first half where, where St. John's got that three-pointer, and, and it, felt like, it felt like the guys were just not up to it. And we had talked last week about how um, it, it kind of seems like the team is, is falling under the pressure of getting Coach K to this, to this big milestone. Um, but um, they figured it out down the stretch. Uh, Marshall Plumley came in and made a few really great plays on both ends of the floor. Um, Quinn Cook and Tyus Jones made some big shots, and, uh, and I was really impressed with the way that we, we handled it down the stretch. Uh, we looked very poised, and, and more so than we've looked in any of the games, at least that we've been you know, losing uh, in the second half this year. I was very impressed with the, way that, with the way that we held it together. Absolutely. And Jason, I know last week we discussed this at length about how eager we were for number 1,000 to be today so that the team can just kind of put it behind them and just play basketball from here on out. And uh, despite all that, I felt like it was a very, you know, a very gritty win and a win that, you know, maybe even a couple weeks ago we wouldn't have had in our, in, in us. So, I mean, give us your takeaway from this game and the overall milestone of 1000. Well, I, uh, several things. First of all, I can't recall the last time Duke came from 10 down in the second half, a, a game that, um, Boy, it, it sure looked like St. John's was on their way to winning that game. I mean, I know there was plenty of time left when we were down double digits, but it's been a while since we had a Duke team that showed this kind of grit, this kind of determination. I thought both teams played with incredible effort. Um, and, and I think it affected St. John's late in the game because they didn't use their bench much at all. Their bench played 15 minutes. They got zero points and one rebound out of their bench. Duke's bench, 55 minutes, 10 points, 15 rebounds, and 
Coach K said it after the game. He said he never really played that lineup with Plumlee and uh, and and Big Jaw together and Matt Jones on the floor with him. It's a lineup we hadn't used before. Um, I'm sure all of us were expecting Suleiman, Jefferson, and Winslow to be on the bench for the final 10 minutes of the game, right, guys? I mean, come on. That's a common thing, <laughs> isn't it? Mm -hmm. Uh, but Coach K said we'd never really used that lineup before. I think it injected a lot of energy into the team. Obviously, the three straight three-point plays from Quinn Cook, Tyus Jones, and Jahil Okafor. Um, we're not used to seeing Duke score three-point plays that way. We're used to doing it um, on long-distance shots. Uh, it, it, it was a great game. It was a game that we had to really gut out and grit out. Um, Sam, you made reference to the bad three-point call. Um, my, my, I've mentioned in the past, I've, I'm friends with a gentleman who is an official. He said it was a tremendously poorly officiated game. Um, there were several other really bad calls, including what was, to me, clearly a both a flagrant and a taunting situation um, in the first half when, when uh, Emil Jefferson got taken to the floor, you know, really harshly. By by uh by one of St. John's bench players who came in to do nothing other than foul as hard as he possibly could, um, the refs lost control of the game. And my official friend said that the three refs in the game today are known as really good complimentary refs, but none of them is like a team is like a leader is a a crew chief kind of ref. And he thought the game needed someone to take control of it. It was a very very physical battle, but a great win. Just a, a, a you know a great game. To, to come away from for Coach K's 1,000th, um, I, I loved it. I did too. And I was ready to – oh, I, no, I, I was going to say, I was, I, I was ready with, with 10 minutes left in the second half to come on this podcast today and talk all about the Georgetown game in 2010 where we lost by 30 uh, at the end of January and then came back to win the national championship. Uh, and I'm very glad that we don't have to make that comparison today. Uh, this team, like I said, they looked so poised and and, and they – they, they figured it out, even though a lot of things weren't going their way, including, as Jason referenced, um, the officiating. Yeah, Donald, what were you going to say? Yeah, I, I, you brought up the Georgetown game. I was going to bring up the, the St. John's game, I believe it was in 2011, where we were in yeah. Madison Square Garden and got killed. And it seemed like we didn't have an answer for uh, St. John's intensity. And I think somehow with that lineup with uh, Okafer and Plumlee both down low and then three guards out wide, it seemed like the team kind of said, all right, this is on us now. Coach has taken us this far, and it is time for us to step up. And that team played with a lot of energy. It was panic when we were down 10. I mean, we were probably, wherever we were watching the game, panicking. But it did seem like the team wavered. Even when things were going their way, even when, when the calls weren't going their way, they seemed to just kind of say, look, we're going to get through this, trust in each other, and – Little by little, they crept back, and then all of a sudden, there was that big surge with the three three-point plays that, uh, Jason, I believe you mentioned. So I, I think that was really key, and it, it really spoke to what the team really went through on the road in a hostile atmosphere to try and get this done. And, and hey, a couple of things I want to bring up. I mean, how surprising was it down the stretch to see Duke playing with Plumlee and Matt Jones on the floor, uh, you know, guys who are let's be honest, limited offensively um, and, and yet be finding ways to be really effective scoring the ball. You can't say enough about the game that Tyus Jones had. I thought um, Quinn Cook 
took what was an ill-advised three-pointer, but he made it. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a great game. It, it was it was a tremendous, tremendous effort from all those guys. Uh, by the way, a, a great stat I noticed. Um, you know that Matt Jones and Marshall Plumley were our second and third leading rebounders in this game, just behind Big Ja. I mean, those guys just came and they said, we're going to play harder than St. John's is going to play. And that's what won the game. And, and Marshall Plumley even playing in that in, in a very uncomfortable role, I imagine, for him on the outside in that zone defense looked totally comfortable. Um, and, and I would not have expected that from him um, coming into this game. So that, that was really impressive for me was, was watching Plumley, especially on defense. Yeah, hey, it was Don- great. It was great. Yes. Donald, you asked also for reflections on 1,000. Um, a, a couple things that I, I just want to bring up that I noticed in the post game because I think every Duke fan probably dwelled on and enjoyed that post game. First of all, I noticed that as they were going through the, the post game handshake, you know, Coach K and the St. John's team, I counted at one point, I, I froze the TV, there were 14 cameras surrounding him. I mean, the media was all over this game. You know, <laughs> You know the team felt extra pressure because of that, and and you know kudos to them for for going ahead and uh, and, and winning it anyway. Um, uh, one thing that the Fox announcers mentioned, they said they talked to Coach K about what does a thousand wins mean, and his answer was it means we picked up our seventeenth win of the season, which I think is just a great line. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, then absolutely. the other other one I love that he said was he said, I was just trying to survive this game, and he said that, and that's how you get to a thousand. Which, which I think is is just, it, it, you know, it's so wise on his part. And then the last thing I wanted to mention about a thousand, the image of Mickey Shashevsky hugging all the players, um, just as the just as the the uh, the announcers and the and the analysts were talking about how much um, Duke is a family. Uh, I thought was really a, a great, wonderful image of of a really you know important milestone. Yeah, I agree. And and I honestly think the the lasting image for me was when the game was over. Usually, you know, when players win a big victory on the road, they're surrounding each other, they're high-fiving, and then they get in the huddle. But immediately, every single player, manager, coach on that team ran over to Coach K to give him a big hug. And you could tell how much it means to them. It means a lot to everybody who's been associated with every one of his thousand wins from, you know, from the beginning, when he was at Army to now. And I, you could tell that everybody was just happy for Coach K, happy that it, that they were a part of any part of that a thousand victories, um, and just to be there for that special moment. And yeah, you know, Mickey had this look the entire game that she like she was going to kill every referee on the court. Um, but when she started turning it to a smile with about thirty seconds left, you knew it was that it was a wrap and that it was over. But Sam, your final thoughts on on one thousand. Um, I, I just thought the players were really excited to get all that cheap uh, Coach K 1000 Nike gear. Uh, that's what I was hearing <laughs> while they were in the handshake line. Hey, let me, let me get that hat. Let me get that shirt. I, I heard a lot of that. So um, I forget that, that, that the materialism is the whole thing. Yeah, the, the swag is always very important, especially as it comes to big milestones. And, and, and Nike is good at, at ratcheting up the, the swag excitement uh, for stuff like this. So shout out to them. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I'm I'm going to go on online in about a you know an hour and start buying some gear myself. But uh, we're going to shift gears slightly. Uh, we also played last Monday against Pittsburgh. Um, a little more than 48 hours after we zoned out Louisville, um, we started out really hot on both sides of the ball in that game. Um, we eventually finished off the Panthers 79 to 65. That was 9.99. Give me some brief thoughts, Jason. We'll start with you um, on that game. 
Well, I just really enjoyed seeing Tyus Jones um, return to being the player who many people thought was going to be one of the best point guards in the nation. Um, uh, you know, he's gotten tremendously efficient um, with how he scores the ball. I think he's running the team really, really nicely. And then the other thing you have to take away from that game was, um, uh, you know, how Okafor moved the ball around. I, when was the last time Big Ja led us? When was the last time we had a center who led us in assists in a game? Um, you know, uh, both of those to me were were really positive developments for young guys, especially for Tyus Jones, who I think had been struggling a little bit, um, but uh, but really in the past week, week and a half or so, seems to have come out of it and uh, and is playing you know uh, all ACC caliber basketball. Yeah, I I, I agree with everything that, that Jason said. Um, it it seemed like a a good sort of return to the norm after the Louisville game, which was which was so weird in the way that we played um getting to come home and 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 having guys like Tyus Jones come back and and play the way they uh the way they want to play in that game uh was really impressive to me I st- I've started to see and and we saw a little bit more of it today a little bit of concern about Justice Winslow um it seems like he, he finds himself on the ground in pain a lot and and we saw it a few times against Pittsburgh and we saw it I think once today um so I, I'll note a little bit of concern that, that Justice Winslow seems to be getting himself hurt on the court a lot. Uh, I hope that isn't a trend that is going to continue and is going to cause him to miss time. Well, the, the, the word is that he has some sort of, uh, you know, somewhat nagging aches and pains. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it rises to the level of an injury, but uh, there's no question that he is... He has lost a lot of the explosion and athleticism that he seemed to have earlier in the year. I don't know if that's, you know, the fact that uh, we've entered conference play and, and the opposition maybe is a little bit stronger. I, I, I think it's probably that he's hit the wall and you got to power through that wall. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I'm excited to see what's going to happen back to being um, what he was. Yeah, I, I th- I think the word laboring is what I use to kind of dis- describe what he, the, the nagging and aches aches and pains that he's going through and I, I attribute that a little bit to how he plays he plays very explosive like you said above the rim he likes to go to the basket he likes to bang you know when he's down low he likes to be very aggressive on the ball um and I think those nagging injuries have you know limited him in what he can do because he can't be as explosive he can't be as aggressive um and he you know and I think he has hit a little bit of a wall to you know on top of that so um hopefully he can uh, use a couple of days to get some rest um, and, and kind of get back to the justice that we had earlier in the season and kind of back to that flow. But uh, yeah, switching gears, you, go ahead. I was going to say one more thing I wanted to add about the Pittsburgh game that I thought was really interesting and it extends into the St. John's game as well. Um, after Duke played so much zone against Louisville, there were a lot of people who sort of wondered, you know, oh, is this going to be a one-time thing for Coach Case just because Louisville is – you know, possibly the worst outside shooting team in the country. Um, uh, Pitt, not much better. We played a lot of zone against Pitt, but then again against St. John's, who's a, a, a much better three-point shooting team. They're not great by any stretch of the imagination, but again against St. John's, Duke packed it in a little bit, played a lot of zone. They look good playing zone. To me, it's clear that this has now become part of our defensive repertoire and that sometimes we're going to hit you with a man, but sometimes we're going to hit you with a zone and we know what we're doing when we're playing zone. And, and uh, that's one of the big takeaways to me from both the Pitt and the St. John's games this week. And we know that the father of the zone defense in Jim Beheim, or at least one of the Mount Rushmore members uh, of the zone defense in Jim Beheim, gave a shout out to Coach Cade during the broadcast today about how he appreciates that 
that Kay has been uh, has been taking his uh, his advice on how to play defense. Amen. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty good one. But uh, you know, we just finished talking about milestones and. Uh, that Pittsburgh game actually inched Coach K closer to another record. Uh, that game was his 421st career ACC victory, which is one game shy of tying Dean Smith's record of 422. And his first opportunities to tie and break the record will come this week. But man, this is going to be a difficult week to kind of accomplish that feat. As we hit the road for probably the toughest week of basketball we will face all season. We take on number eight, Notre Dame, on Wednesday night, and we take on number two, Virginia, on Saturday night. Uh, let's start with the Fighting Irish on Wednesday night. Jason, um, let's start with your thoughts in this contest, what what we should expect to see uh, from both Notre Dame and hopefully from, from us on our end. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, by the way, it's talking about this week, I, I think it would be easier to win a Final Four and then a national championship game than it will be to go on the road to play at Notre Dame and at Virginia. Uh, this is going to be and a tremendous shot before that. Yeah, but no, but I, I mean, specifically this week coming up, um, th this is going to be so difficult for Duke. Um, you know, teams are three, five, seven points per game better at home than they are, you know, at a neutral court. And, and we're going to play two of the best teams in the country, Notre Dame being perhaps one of the best offensive teams in the country and then Virginia being perhaps the best or one of the best defensive teams in the country. It's going to be really interesting. So let me tell you a little bit about Notre Dame. Notre Dame likes to shoot three-pointers. Let me say that again. Notre Dame likes to shoot three-pointers. Almost 40% of their shots are threes. They frequently, they always, almost always have at least four guys on the floor who are taking three-pointers, who are capable of taking three-pointers for them. They hit a very nice percentage, over 40%. Notre Dame is second in the country, number two in the country in points per shot. And that's because they get so many times they take a shot and it's a three and it goes in. And I mean, they are really, really good at it. Um, and, and it's a huge part of what they do. Um, a, a lot of it comes from Pat Connaughton, um, who somehow at 6'5", uh, manages both to be a great three-point shooter and a great rebounder. Guy grabs more than eight rebounds a game and hits 45% of his three-pointers. Uh, he's going to be a real tough matchup for us because he finds ways to slip outside and get off three-point shots when you don't expect it. Um, they're led by Jerrion Grant, who uh, is certainly in the National Player of the Year conversation. He's scoring almost 17 points a game. He's dishing out six and a half assists a game. And he's not their point guard. Demetrius Jackson is their point guard. But, you know, one of the big things you notice when you look at Notre Dame, they are very tough and very physical. They've got a lot of guys between like 6'5 and 6'8. Um, and, and they are a team that plays with poise and experience. They move the ball around really well. Um, they've got three different, um, three of their uh, main players are juniors and seniors. And, and as a result, you know, these guys are experienced. This is men that we're going to be playing against for the most part. And, and a lot of our kids who are younger are, are still boys. So I think it's going to be a very, very tough game for us. The biggest thing to look for, the place where Duke has an advantage, and look, this is where Duke always has an advantage, is in the middle. Um, Zach August for Notre Dame is a capable big man, but he's not great. And he, I think, will really struggle, especially defensively, against Big Ja. Um, Notre Dame, as great as they are on offense, as great as they are at shooting outside, they're not a great defensive team. And, uh, you know, I don't know what the over-under on this thing's going to be, but uh, it's not going to be one of those games where first team to 70 wins. You're going to need to get to 80, maybe even 90 to win in this game. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. 
I, I, I've watched a little Notre Dame this year, and, and Jason's right. They are so impressive to watch on offense. They move the, ba- they move the ball around so well on the perimeter, um, and, and they find open shots everywhere. I believe that they're number one in Ken Palm in adjusted uh, offensive efficiency. Um, they are. Ahead of us they now. are. By, by a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, and we used to hold that title until, until the last couple weeks happened. Um, so I, I think the game will go into the 80s, and, and, and the winner may well score 90 points, as you pointed out. Um, I don't think we got to see Jerry and Grant last year. I'm pretty sure he was suspended by the time uh, ACC play started. Um, so he's, he's going to be an interesting player to watch, someone we haven't seen yet, um, but who we know is an explosive athlete. Uh, we saw it, uh, I don't remember which game it was, last week or the week before when he, got, he climbed the ladder real high on a dunk. I, I want to say it was against Georgia Tech. Um, but, yeah, Notre Dame's, Notre Dame's offense is really fun to watch. Um, but they, they don't play defense nearly as well. So uh, there's going to be a lot of scoring in this game, and I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and, of course, we're going to get all of the Coach K-Mike Bray uh, connection talk, with, which, you know, always seems to delight. Yeah, well, you mentioned Mike Bray, and I honestly think this is probably his best coaching uh, that he's ever done. I mean, you know, keep in mind that, you know, Notre Dame was not – favored to do much in the ACC this year. They started out unranked in the top 25 poll. I don't even think they got a vote. And now they're eighth in the country and they, they are really running on all cylinders. They're very athletic. Um, and I, you know, against, I saw a little bit of the game against um, Virginia tech, which you can't really take much away from, you know, from, from that game other than Virginia tech is really bad, but um, they, they really like to run out and beat you in transition with their athletic ability and they don't turn the ball over very often. I think they only average nine turnovers a game, which is very, very low um, for, for college. So I think that is going to be the key. Can we get them to turn the ball over a little more than normal? And can we capitalize uh, on, the, on, on the defensive end by getting some stops? I agree. It's going to be a shootout. But if we can limit the shootout capability on their end, we'll, you know, we'll be able to win this ball game. It's, it's a very winnable game, but it's going to be very difficult to do that on the road. And we should also keep in mind – Go ahead. I was going to say two, two last things I wanted to add before we turn it over to Sam to preview the very impressive Virginia Cavaliers. Um, one is sort of like the St. John's game. Notre Dame is not a team that plays, that has a very deep bench, that plays a lot of guys in their, on their bench. So I think Duke's bench will be key. Being rested in a game that goes up and down is going to be a big deal for us. And then the other thing to point out is, yeah, Notre Dame is number eight in the country and they, they've got a really impressive record, but they built a lot of that record on the back of a dreadful, woeful, really bad non-conference schedule. They did not, you know, a lot of teams play all comers. Notre Dame didn't play anybody worth a darn, really. Um, uh, now, uh, again, they won those games. They won the games anyway. Um, and the and the few good teams they've played, they've done fairly well against. But, um, uh, you know, I, I wonder if they may be a little bit overrated at this point um, based on a gaudy record that may have been put up against teams that, you know, aren't that impressive. They, they haven't played a lot of teams that are going to the tournament yet. That's for sure. Yeah, and you know what? We're gonna we should get comfortable with them as an opponent because not only will we see them on Wednesday, we'll actually also see them at home a week from Saturday on February seventh, which I think is the first time, if uh, memory serves correct, that Notre Dame will be in Cameron as a member of the ACC. So uh, whatever we see on Wednesday, we need to just kind of pocket that for uh, for next week's podcast as well. Um, but if that wasn't enough for you, uh, Saturday. We go to John Paul Jones Arena. We will face the Cavaliers, second in the country. College game day will be in town. It's going to be a huge matchup. Sam, you have watched a lot of the Wahoos. Let's see. Tell us what what you see from them 
and how we can be the ones to finally hand them their first loss. I think that uh, one of the Louisville beat writers who I follow on Twitter said that uh, when Louisville plays Virginia, Louisville is going to score negative seven points. Um, and I'm inclined to agree. Virginia stops you from doing anything on offense. And when they played Notre Dame um, at it was at Notre Dame, and they held Notre Dame to 56 points in regulation uh, and, and beat them by, by six. Uh, Virginia can stop every offense with, uh, with uh, wonderful coach Tony Bennett's uh, pack line defense. They're great at playing it. The players have all really bought in. And, you know, they don't, they don't really have the superstars that, that, a, that a Duke or a Louisville or a UNC is going to have, um, but their guys are all really committed to playing defense. Um, they've got a couple guys that I really like. Uh, their point guard, London, London Perantes, who is kind of the, the engine that, that drives their, their machine. Um, he's really fun to watch. He, he, uh, he conducts the defense really well and moves the ball around uh, uh, you know, pretty good on, on offense. He's averaging four assists a game on a team that doesn't score a lot, but they're still pretty efficient on offense. Um, they just move at a slow pace. And then I really love the emergence of, uh, their wingman, Justin Anderson, who kind of plays a similar role to, to Justice Winslow or, or Rashid Suleiman on Duke. Um, I got to see Justin Anderson when he was in high school because he played on, uh, on with, uh, yeah, excuse me, he played uh, for Montrose Christian uh, alongside Josh Hairston, who I also got to see in high school once or twice. Uh, and, I, and Justin Anderson, I think, was a sophomore when Josh was a senior. And I remember leaving that game and thinking, all right, you know, Josh Harrison might, might turn out to be a good player for Duke, you know, whatever that means. But that Anderson kid is a sophomore. Man, he is an athlete at, you know, at 15 years old. He was jumping all over the place, and he's doing it now in the ACC. Um, it's, it's been really incredible to watch. He's, he's probably my favorite player on Virginia, uh, Anderson. He's scoring 14 points a game um, and can really shoot it from outside. So uh, this is going to be – Probably our toughest game of the year at Virginia. Um, I'm not. I'm not expecting us to to run away from them. I expect it to be a close, tight game, and uh, I'm really curious to see how we adjust. You know, Coach K has made some great adjustments this year on the defensive end. I'm curious to see what we're going to do on offense to combat Virginia's really stingy defense. Um, Donald, have you have you watched Virginia this year? What have you seen from them? I, I I echo everything that you just said, and and really their their defense is is suffocating. I know Jason has marveled uh, at how efficient they are in defense and how suffocating they are, uh, but that's really what you take away is they they don't turn they don't get that many force that many turnovers, but they do for some reason just make you take bad shots, and uh, that's what we have to limit against uh, against Virginia. Um, we have to take good shots. We have to have great possessions on on the offensive side because they like capitalizing on their defense kind of like you know what we like to do is capitalize on our defense by turning that that momentum into offense um jason give us your thoughts on saturday as well and 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 i know you've talked about the defense a lot i'll let you rave on their defense a little more yeah i I mean they uh, you're you're exactly right it's not a team that blocks a ton of shots it's not a team that gets a ton of steals i mean they do both those things well but um, it's really that they help each other so well. They 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 play man to man beautifully, and they help each other so well that you are forced to take bad shots against them. Guys, do you know how many teams have scored seventy points against Virginia this year? Two. 
Davidson and Miami, and Miami needed two overtimes to do it. Davidson got to 72. If you get to 70 points against Virginia, you're going to win. But you can't get to 70 points against them because they play defense so darn well. Uh, It's fun to watch if you're a student of the game of basketball. Um, I, I, I give all the credit. To, to the players for buying into the system that they're playing there. Um, and one of the really interesting things is, in contrast, I've talked about bench a couple times already in this podcast. In contrast to some of the other teams we played lately, Virginia uses their bench. They use it a tremendous amount. They have 10 guys who average more than 10 minutes per game. They, uh, they're bringing guys in and out a tremendous amount. And, um, and that's one of the ways they're able to keep up that effort at the defensive end of the floor. Now, you know, obviously the opposite end, they're not very good on offense. They struggle to score a, a, a good bit. They don't have a lot of guys who, who can shoot from the outside, but they do a really nice job of getting good shots, um, of moving the ball around. Uh, you know, there's no one who's like the go-to guy. And as a result, there are a lot of different guys that can take on that role. Uh, it, it, it's, it's going to be a very, very difficult game for Duke to win. Uh, I think we're going to have trouble getting the ball inside to Okafor. We're going to, you know, if we settle for jump shots a lot, um, you know, it, it, it could be really bad. And, you know, this is another thing I've harped on. Virginia is a very experienced team. When you look at their roster, when you look at the guys that play, uh, of the 10 guys who play a lot for them, something like eight of them are juniors and seniors. Um, again, it, it could be a case of men playing with boys. It's not going to be an easy, uh, easy nothing. It, it, it's, it's the toughest game of the season. There's no question about that. And we, Jason, Virginia, and we, we might think that they're, um, that their offense is, is not so hot because they don't score a lot of points, um, but they are the sixth most efficient offense in the country, uh, which is only one spot behind Duke. So they, they really get it done on both ends, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if Virginia was a better team than Kentucky right now, um, having watched a, a lot of both of those teams play. Donald, what were you going to say? Yeah, I mean, Jason, you know, we all were discussing uh, to ourselves the uh, – the game that they played the other day against Georgia Tech, and you you had a really interesting stat. I wanted you to share that with the people about uh, the number of teams uh, who have equaled what Georgia Tech put on the board or the, the lack of points they put on the board uh, the other night. Uh, yeah, so the game against Georgia Tech the other day, um, uh, Tech scored 28 points, um, <laughs> which is like a football score. They they are actually the third team this year to score less than 30 points against Virginia. Rutgers had 26, Harvard had 27, and then Georgia Tech came in with 28. Uh, those those are football scores. Those are you know a, a decent game of football. That is not a basketball kind of number. How amazing is it? And by the way, uh, you know you're not talking about three terrible teams there. Tech is pretty bad. But Rutgers has some decent wins this year, and, and they're part of the big 10, 11, 12, whatever that conference is. And Harvard's going to go to the tournament and probably be like a 12 or 13 seed. We know the job Tommy Amaker's done there. Harvard Harvard lost 76 to 27 to Virginia. Uh, they lost by 50. It's, it's like crazy how good Virginia is on defense. And if you get frustrated, they, they will just destroy you. Well, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we're going to score more than 30 points against uh, Virginia on Saturday, but it will be a huge test uh, this entire week. Two major opponents, two true road tests in front of very hostile crowds. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how our team responds uh, in both games on both Wednesday and Saturday. Let's and, take a step and, back from. And also, oh, one more thing about. I was going to say one more thing about Virginia. Um, they don't have a game this week, so they played today against Virginia Tech. They had an oddly close game against them 
Um, they only won 50 to 47, but Virginia doesn't play again until next Saturday. Uh, so they are going to be watching all the tape of, of what we've been doing the last couple of weeks and all the interesting, uh, you know, changes that we've been making. So, you know, I, we're not going to catch them off guard unless, unless Coach K manages to throw more wrinkles, you know, into our game plan this week, which, I mean, who knows if he's going to even have time for that with, with such a tough opponent on Wednesday against Notre Dame. Yeah, that's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how how that game unfolds. But uh, let's take a step back for just a minute. We wanted to let's touch briefly on the recent developments in the UNC academic scandal. Um, as for those of you out there, this week a class action lawsuit uh, which name has named plaintiffs uh, UNC's uh, former women's basketball player Rashonda McCants and former football player D- Devon Ramsey. Uh, it was filed against the UNC uh, against UNC as well as the NCAA and it claimed that UNC athletes did not receive the full value of their athletic scholarships as a result of being enrolled in these fake classes um, that are a central issue in this scandal. Um, J- uh, Jason, let's start with you. Your, your brief thoughts on this, on these recent developments and that. Obviously, I think a, a, a whole bunch of, uh, of Duke fans heard about this lawsuit being filed, and we are, were like, all right, pull out the popcorn. I can't wait to see what's going to happen next. Because whenever you have a lawsuit, um, it, it means you get depositions and you get people under oath. And there hasn't been a single person from North Carolina, there hasn't been a single person involved in this scandal who has been forced to put their hand on a Bible under the penalty of perjury and tell the truth about what they know. Um, sure, people lie under oath sometimes, but boy, it is a lot harder to lie under oath than it is to lie to an investigator from the NCAA or from Wayne Steen's law firm. Um, and I think it, you know we could get some, some tremendously revealing aspects of this whole thing as a result of people testifying. And then the other part of it is this class action lawsuit, in addition to naming UNC, it names the NCAA. And people can't decide. There are a lot of different schools of thought as to whether the fact that the NCAA is party to this lawsuit will make the NCAA act a little bit quicker, act a little bit harsher against UNC, or if it'll maybe make the NCAA ease up. I am of the belief that that the NCAA is going to hit Carolina harder and faster because of this lawsuit and that the NCAA is going to want to make a statement that they don't like, they disapprove, and they are incredibly angry at what UNC did with this you know, multi-decade-long cheating fraudulent class scandal. And the best way for the NCAA to prove in court that they want nothing to do with this kind of action, that they have no party to, to treating athletes um, not as students is for the NCAA to hit UNC really hard as a result of uh, uh, of, of the scandal that came down. Um, and, and by the way, the last thing I want to point out about it is the lawyer who has filed the class action lawsuit, the lawyer who's representing um, these former NC athletes, is the same lawyer who just beat the UN. Uh, I'm sorry, just beat the NCAA in court in the Ed O'Bannon case that has opened up. Uh, a whole new world of potentially paying athletes or getting athletes compensation for their images and such like that. It was a huge landmark case. He has a track record of taking down the NCAA. And you know, the NCAA's lawyers and UNC's lawyers are not happy to see this guy on the other side of the aisle. And and it's only a matter of time before we see what I think is going to be some kind of major shift in the way the NCAA operates, be it, you know, are they going to, Fold and are the power conferences going to form their own their own new you know subdivision? Um, there there are a lot of ways that, that people speculate that the NCAA is going to move forward. I think this is going to end up being one of those landmark cases you know on the heels like you mentioned of the O'Bannon case 
Um, so I'm I'm very curious to see how how long all this takes and and also what comes of it um, because this isn't just about UNC or about the ACC. This is about this is about you know all the major NCAA programs across the country and and their relationship with their student athletes and and the student athletes relationship with the schools. Uh, there there are a lot of layers here um, that are that are really fascinating. So I'm I'm very curious to see what happens. Yeah, well said by both of you. And, you know, I think my, my takeaway is I hope it means that the NCAA will actually finally step up and actually do something about this scandal. Um, you know, because I'm really sick and tired of hearing more and more stories about the scandal and about all these different moving parts. And the NCAA, meanwhile, seems like they're busy undoing sanctions they impose on Penn State or making sure Ohio State football players get their Beats headphones before the national championship game. Um, but they're not really focusing on something that really is, you know, I, I'm, I'm really glad this, this lawsuit is being filed. Full value of an athletic scholarship and, and not getting those classes and being in a class that really, uh, you know, will affect not just them, but the credibility of a UNC degree down the road. So uh, it's sad that it may take being sued for them to finally get the message, but uh, it's, you know, it's, I think it's something they should have really investigated a long time ago, but hopefully this is what gets them, you know, gets their burners rolling and, and gets them, uh, gets them going. And as far as getting some substance of penalties in place for this scandal. And maybe the, uh, one of the most interesting things about this is that, you know, known pun intended heel uh, Rashad McCants is right in the middle of this. Uh, you know, for a long time, I think Duke and NC State fans would say that they really disliked Rashad McCants because of the way that you know he may have acted when he was at Carolina, and now that table has turned, and all the Carolina fans you know think that he's a, a turncoat. Um, so, so he's he's a fascinating character at the center of of, of this new development in the story. Absolutely, um, and you know what? Finally, before we wrap up this week's episode, let's. Let's, uh, we're, we're done with UNC for, for at least for now. Uh, it's time for Player of the Week honors. Um, Sam, I'm going to start with you. Um, who is your Player of the Week? Um, I, had, I had two guys I couldn't decide between, so I'm going to pick one, and I'm going to hope that you guys picked other ones. Um, I want to start with Quinn Cook. Um, I thought that Quinn Cook had a really great week against both opponents. Uh, Tyus Jones obviously had, a, had an excellent week. He looked very strong. But um, we have talked a lot on the forums. A lot of people have brought it up over the last few years that it seems like Quinn Cook looks really, really good in November and December, and then come ACC play, um, all of his skills kind of diminish a little bit, and he looks a little bit more timid, and he can't stay with, with opposing guards. Um, he's looked very strong in these last two games. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see senior leader Quinn Cook um, taking big shots at the end of games. He had that big three-point play today. Um, so my, my player of the week this week is, is senior captain Quinn Cook. That's an excellent pick. Uh, Jason, uh, who, who, are you, who are your honors? Well, uh, I went with the obvious one. I went with Tyus Jones, who, who had an incredible, incredible week. Uh, when you look at the player who was tentative on the floor, who couldn't hit any shots uh, against um, Miami and NC State, and and even going back, you know, a few games before that, um, it's hard to believe that that's the same guy that we saw out there this past week against Pittsburgh and St. John's. He played, he played an incredible seventy-seven out of eighty minutes in our two games this week. Um, it, it, he scored twenty-two points in either game, um, bunches of assists, 
you know, just seemed at times to to have poise well beyond his years. Um, he was 10 of 10 at the free throw line today. I mean, we can go on and on statistically, but but I just love, uh, like I said, the poise that he's showing out on the floor. Um, I, I, I think he's uh, he, he's well on his way to being the player that uh, a lot of people expected he would be. Um, and we're, we're lucky to be watching him. I hope we get to watch him for a couple more years, please. <laughs> that would that would that would be great. Um, you know that's a fantastic truth. I think you guys both had excellent ones. My player of the week was Tyus Jones uh, for a lot of the reasons that Jason said. I think he was the catalyst uh, for the comeback against St. John's, and uh, for me it was was easy. I, although I I do think Quinn Cook was also uh, one of those catalysts, especially today. But I want to give special shout out, and I'll give you guys a little chance to comment as well to Marshall Plumley. Uh, not for guy. his not uh, for his yeah. antics. On the court, but off the court in deciding that after graduation, he will be joining the U.S. Army. He took the oath uh, of the U.S. Army yesterday at practice. Um, I think that's just outstanding. Um, and it's the ultimate sacrifice. I, I can't say enough about his decision to do that and, and, and join the Army, giving up millions, uh, not just either, either as a player or in life. Um, to, to make that ultimate sacrifice to serve our country, uh, he's got to get special shout out for that. But I'll give you guys uh, a chance to comment on that as well. Sam? I, I was going to say that the, the two that I picked, because I, I, I didn't want to go with Tyus Jones, were Quinn Cook this week and, and Marshall Plumley, uh, because in the midst of having a really great week, especially, especially in the game today where he was so effective uh, down the stretch during that comeback, um, you know, Making that decision in the middle of basketball season has got to be really tough for a kid like that. Um, and and I think we've, we've read a little bit this week about how there had to be some kind of waiver for him because because he's too tall, of course, um, to, to, to join the Army. Um, so, yeah, I'm very impressed with that. I'm sure that, that Coach K loves it, um, you know, being an Army guy himself. Uh, Marshall has maybe now rocketed to the top of his list of favorite Plumleys, uh, which, is, you know, which is tough for Coach K. Um, so I'm, I'm very impressed by that. I'm impressed that he's, that he's, you know, added such an, an enormous extracurricular activity to him also, you know, getting better every year on the basketball court for Duke. Um, Jason, did you have anything to add for Marshall Plumley? Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, I, I love the story of how he, he came to, to join ROTC at Duke. Um, uh, he did not join when he first arrived on campus. Um, it, it was after uh, Duke had a preseason practice at Fort Bragg in 2012. Um, and he, uh, after visiting Fort Bragg and meeting some of the troops there and the such, uh, he had an epiphany. And, and he knew that that was what he, he wanted to, to play a role in serving our country and being alongside those kind of guys. And uh, huge kudos to him. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to do, uh, you know, especially for a guy who's seen both of his older brothers take a very different career path into the NBA um, for him to sort of say, you know what, that's that's not what I'm going to be. Um, I'm going to be a, a man in the military who knows whether he, you know, he only does a few years or, or if he makes it his entire career, but, um, hats off to you, a salute to Marshall Plumley, No question about it. Absolutely. And it salutes from all of us, uh, for that ultimate sacrifice. But, uh, that is going to do it for this week's episode of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Uh, remember, folks, we are now on iTunes, and we are also on Stitcher Radio as well as SoundCloud, so you can subscribe to the podcast, share it, tell your friends about it, and leave reviews to let everybody know 
everyone know how we're doing. Um, and that helps us move up in the rankings. We've actually done eight podcasts now. That is more than 90% of all podcasts. So thank you guys to all of you that are listening in. Uh, it, it makes us feel that we're at least doing something right. But uh, Jason, Sam, thank you guys very much as always for being on. Thanks, Donald. You got it. And for Jason Evans and Sam Klein, I am Donald Wine. Thank you for listening in. Duke Band, play our theme music. Take us home.